I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeRinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeRinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about restoring extension after ACL reconstruction, set and rep schemes in rehabilitation, and how to determine if loss of motion is a mobility or a motor control issue. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Hi, man. Uh, we're recording. Ready to go? Good, good. Yep. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am here at Champion PT and Performance with the team here. We got Lenny Macrina, Dave Tilly, Gabe Morgan. We're all here. We changed seats. I was just going to say that. Let's do this. I think we all, I feel like we've been doing this. Hi, guys. It's Mike Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing the. I can't. Am I? Hold yeah. <laughs> Len legit wasn't in it. Half my body's usually out. So, um, yeah, welcome back. Deja vu. <laughs> yeah, this is better. I like this. We kind of mixed it up oh, today. Yeah. Different seats. See, what you guys don't know is in our PT room here at Champion, this is essentially where our desks are, and we all just slide back and record. Well, so you can see how we sit at our desk. So, I don't um, like it. I don't like it. Yeah, now this is completely weird. I have to look to the left instead of the right. But, um, but welcome back, everybody. Uh, some more great questions. Uh, Gabe and Ader, let's do yeah. this. Can you hear Mike from over there? I know it's a long way. Oh, it's kind of hard to hear him. I like it over here. I like it better on this side <laughs> of the room. All right. Lisa from San Diego asks, after ACL surgery, is it true if you don't get full knee extension by 12 weeks post-op, you will never, ever, ever, ever get it back? Did, did you elaborate on that? Yeah. I don't recall a that. Couple, a couple <laughs> extra evers. I, I did paraphrase a little bit. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't remember all those evers on there. But yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, Len, I don't know, you're the post-op. Uh, yeah, uh, we've seen a bunch of these, and unfortunately, um, uh, there is hope. Well, unfortunately, there is hope. Unfortunately, we see it. <laughs> we, unfortunately, we see it a lot. Unfortunately, there's hope. I think 12 weeks is a little early. Um, I've had people a year or two out that have had issues, and I think it comes down to the person, the person's tissue, whether or not it's extensible enough to be able to get some of the motion back. Uh, I've seen people that are pretty lax relative to other people, and you, you know that tissue type where you really need to pay attention to how how frequent and how intense they're doing the stuff that you prescribe at home. So I've had people, again, um, that if I give them stuff to do at least four times a day, 15 minutes each session, so at least 60 minutes a day, uh, some of the research out of McClure's group has shown that you can get collagen extensibility, collagen elongation that stays uh, in that elongated position, which is essentially what we're trying to do for these people, even after 12 weeks. So I think it comes down to the person's tissue type and the amount of effort the person gives in the home exercise program. So there's definitely hope after 12 weeks. I've, I've witnessed it many, many times. Definitely hope, but I would just say... It Not gets ideal. Harder. It gets, yeah. <laughs> it gets, yeah. It gets harder. The, yeah. the further out you get, it gets harder. Yeah. I get my hyperextension early on the first couple of weeks. I'm not afraid to get I'm not getting full uh, to the other side. If they have five or ten on the other side, I'm getting two, three, and it usually comes back after that. I'm not cranking on it. You just go to educate the person and get it back as early as possible, and it's not always going to happen. I understand that because of Cyclops lesions, but consistency. there is hope, yeah. Nice. All right. Gabe, what else? 
Robin from Baku asks, you have spoken in the past about how you think rehabilitation specialists should stop always using the three sets of 10 rep scheme when prescribing exercises, and that we should focus more on the goals and proper periodization. What I don't understand is how you decide what the patient needs. What is the point of prescribing hypertrophy training for patients? Um, I would love more clarity on this topic. Um, all right, yeah, I think that's that's a Good great question. topic. Um, we talk about that a lot, like so, you know, set reps in rehab. And traditionally, I think we've just got stuck in rehab with, you know, it's two sets of 10, three sets of 10. Um, it starts that way. And then we just kind of like keep adding to the program over time. We don't really, you know, change things. At some point in time, you have to change the stimulus to the, the muscles for to maximize your strength gains. So let's take a big step back and not even talk about strength, hypertrophy, all those types of things, because I even think those you know, definitions aren't perfect in there. But we just talk about just changing the load to the tissue quite a bit. Um, you know, for me, um, if you just do two sets of 10 all the time, people just don't get strong enough. They just kind of get stuck and they plateau at some point. And this is the same thing as if you were squatting, deadlifting, benching, any of those types of things. You're going to plateau with the same set rep scheme. So to really get some strength, you know, we, we really decrease the amounts of reps. Like, you know, we don't deadlift three sets of ten. You know, we do, you know, whatever, five sets of five or whatever we are in, you know, specific cycle. So I think you have to change that. Um, going up, going down in that, and how do you pick between the different people? I just think it's it's the, the person in front of you and the, the tasks they need to do. But um, it's also about, you know, maybe not thinking of it as hypertrophy training in the rehab world, but maybe endurance training in the rehab world. You know, so maybe you go from baseline strength to some endurance and then down to more advanced strengthening. So you go 10, 15, 5. I don't know. I mean, I just made that up real quick. So, you know, but something like that where you kind of play with your rep schemes. Um, so this is a big topic, and I think it's a huge deficit in the PT world yeah. is nobody really masters the kind of strength and conditioning principles. So I'm um, actually in the process with, you know, buddy of mine, Dan Lorenz in Kansas City, um, you know, who does, you know, he thinks a lot like this as well. We're submitting uh, some proposals for, uh, for APTA CSM next year, 2017 in San Antonio, to kind of talk about these types of things. So that way we can start applying these here. But like you said, I get a bunch of webinars on this in the inner circle. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's about cha- challenging the tissue and then and just changing the stimulus, I guess. Which we do all the time with, the, you know, you, you apply more to strength and conditioning type stuff. We do it to rotator cuff patients or uh, baseball players who are working on a maintenance program. The season has just ended, you know, they're shutting it down a little from throwing, but now we got to ramp back up. So we're not just doing three sets of 10 three pound dumbbells because that's what has always been accepted. We're doing eight, eight, nine, 10 pound dumbbells. But decreasing the, uh, the amount of reps that they're doing uh, f- with the intentions of loading the tissue in a different fashion uh, with the intensity and the amount of reps that they're doing. So it, it's out there. The research is definitely lacking, and I hope uh, Dan, who does owe us some ribs, um, will eventually send those to us, um, that him and Mike and others will come up with better uh, sets and rep schemes for I, us. I don't think Dan's listening to the podcast. Apparently I'm not. just going to call him out yeah. on this because this is like the third time yeah. we've talked about those ribs. I would just throw in too that it's where they're at in their rehab, right? If they're <coughs> trying to get baseline yeah, strength on their way out, but like I've, I've made this mistake with the athletes. Like, okay, they need power and I'm doing strength-based things. Like, well, we need to work rate of force development and we need to rate on like output stuff. So I think tweaking the sets and reps around those, like four, set, four reps of power-oriented exercises for discharge is different than a strength or hypertrophy based program, but if they're six months out of an ACL and you're working agility and starting to do that stuff, you gotta 
tweaking a little bit. Yeah, and even like, you know, conceptually though, you can have different periodization schemes for strength and power simultaneously. Right. You don't have to do three sets of 10 of a power exercise and a strength exercise. So it's really just kind of, you know, putting that together. But I just think we're guilty of just plateauing. And then sure. we see people that have, you know, lack of strength gains over time. It's easier. Yeah. How, how, many, how many times do we see six, eight, 10 months out of an ACL, a rotator cuff repair, all these surgery UCLs that people are still weak? I mean, they've been to rehab for three, four, five, six months, and they're still weak. They still don't have the strength that they need, uh, with their, their baseline strength compared to the other side. That's us. That's our problem. We're the ones that are creating this issue because we're not pushing our clients. Progressive overload. To, uh, yeah, I mean, simple. I think you are. I'm not. I'm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> not mine, but I see that in the research. But I, I think it comes on to us as well, and I think there's still so much more we need to learn. Yeah, and it comes down to insurance. And I don't think they need baseline strength. They need a glove if they they have a compromised yeah. UCL. So yeah. Like, yeah. We need to get I, like superhuman. We can we can get into this. Like you talk about late stage ACL, you talk about insurance things. We I still think we can do better at the early phases here. I just yeah, so definitely. You guys are both right with that yeah. more long term stuff. But for me, we can get better here. This is something we need you know to get better at. I don't know. Maybe here's a product for us. Let's put together <laughs> something new here because, you know, how do we apply strength and conditioning to the rehab world? In the early phases. In the early phases. You know, throughout, really. I think yeah. that's that's going to be, that's that's interesting. Um, I say this over and over and over again, but I've become such a, a much better physical therapist by not only just, you know, discussing things with strength coaches that I'm friends with, but interacting with them, learning from them, applying their principles. I've become such a better physical therapist, so I really recommend the rehab world, kind of look into the strength world and try to, you know, put those together. You have to be careful. You can't do everything, but right. you have to be smart enough to put it together. So, all right, Gabe, um, numero tres. I have such a Boston Spanish Very accent. <laughs> Taryn from uh, British Columbia, Canada asks, when somebody presents with limited joint range of motion, how do you decipher whether it's a mobility issue or a motor control issue? Which do you commonly see in the clinic? Nice. All right, so limited range, mm-hmm. that's what they're saying. Is it uh, mobility or a motor control issue? Dave, yeah, Dave this, this is, is, I like this. Is, all right, now spike it. Um, so do a cartwheel. I'm guessing he may, yeah. <laughs> yeah, answer this question while doing a handstand. I'm guessing they're saying limited active range with whatever they're doing. Well, so yeah, they said limited range, so true. you know. So active versus passive is the easiest thing, right? So take a. That's a good point. I, I went right <laughs> to the assumption <laughs> right. yeah. too, but yeah, um, that's like an SFMA, like one of their central tenets, right? right? Is yeah. if they do this in standing, but they do this in supine, well, you're already kind of looking down the road mm-hmm. for. You know, uh, more of a motor control issue, but I would say you take the, the pattern and break it down into parts, right? And we go backwards from this to what's your T spine, what's your capsule, what's your soft tissue, what's your, and you can do that with hands on stuff. And if you get through that long assessment and it all moves well and you feel pretty comfortable, they still do this when they stand up. Well, it's probably a motor control or a strength type of thing. And I think that I personally see a mix of both because there's general population who have true mobility issues, but then you have a lot of people who have range they don't know how to control or use, and you can kind of get theoretical on like, well, maybe there's protective guarding because your brain's like, yeah, we should probably not let our arm crank right. back there. So it kind of like pulls back on you, and so you have someone who won't get there, but then can get there passively. So sometimes when people relax, you know, you can get them really far, but then they start to get really sketchy. Those are motor control or strength issues, right? Those are dynamic stability issues that aren't showing up when you want to teach someone a skill. And uh, I think we need to be really careful about allowing people to work through some of those, eh, it doesn't look so great because people are like pressing kind of all weird, but on the ground they could do it, maybe regress those people back and give them a, you know, easier thing to get through. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I would make it even maybe a touch more simple, to be honest with you. Um, if they have limited active range, but then passively they have more range, then that's a motor control issue, right? Yeah. right? I just, you kind of yeah, said absolutely. That which we and see it a lot. Stop cranking your foam roller. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the other thing, though, is if they have limited active range in one certain position, so let's say standing, but mm-hmm. then they have a different active range in a different position, so maybe supine or prone or something, I don't know, yeah. um, that type of thing. If it's, again, if that improves, it's motor control. Yeah, tall kneeling. I mean, it's not just putting them standing and lying down. It's, you, you get them in different kneeling positions. Um, you know, you can put them in supine and have them move. It's different. And, again, it comes down to SFMA, which all three of us are um, certified in it, or we've taken the courses. And it, it's a very simplistic look at somebody move and trying to tease out active versus passive limitations yeah. and joint mobility limitations. I'm saying those yellow mobility too. Sometimes they look like they have great mobility when they're standing and then mm. you really get them on the table mm. like a scat yeah. block or something like that. And that's like, a good point. Dink, right? yeah. So it can go the other way too. They, they've right? learned to compensate. Exactly. They've learned to figure out and yeah. that's what the body does. It learns to compensate and that's when you start getting into issues. How the yeah. athletes are the best cheaters, right? That's what they say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Another great episode. Uh, continue to ask us questions. <laughs> you can tell I have a little bit of a cold. They're sitting over there. It's different for you. Different uh, arrow over there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, continue to ask us questions. Uh, submit some good stuff for the show. Uh, subscribe, follow us, review. I don't know. Whatever you whatever Follow it is, Gabe. Whatever it is Twitter. you do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so awesome. GMO. Just got GMO. GMO. Well, you can't he's, be GMO. He's a genetically modified <laughs> organism. <laughs> it's actually cool, too, because on, on Twitter, someone that said non-GMO started following me. Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. So they just have a search for GMOs. I gave it saturated fat. Against. 29 gave his pro-GMO. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you guys uh, MikeRinald.com slash podcast uh, send us some more stuff and we'll see you on the next episode thanks so much for listening to the podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate and review us on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and please share this with your friends to help spread the word it would really mean so much to us Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.